Hello, and welcome to SLES New Matter Podcast. I'm Mike Tarselli, and I'm the Scientific Director for SLES. Joining me today is Dan Close of 490 Biotech. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Of course. Glad to do it. First up, this is the easy one. Please describe what you do all day in 10 words or less. In 10 words or less, I would say that we live our mission statement, which is rapid progress through defendable failure. Every day is life at the edge of things working and breaking. Excellent. So what rapid progress and on which edge of failure? So we are dedicated to finding way to transition what have traditionally been in-point assays towards continuous activity. And to do that, we have to break a lot of existing cell assays to figure out how we can make them work better. Okay, so how does somebody go about breaking an assay? Tell me, tell me how that process works. Well, unfortunately, breaking an assay is the easy part. So you just <laughs> find out what you really want it to do that it doesn't do, and then keep pushing it until we can find out ways to give us more information and to answer questions that maybe that assay could not address before. Hey, can you narrow down on a specific example? Give, give me a sample assay that you taught to do new tricks. Sure. Uh, so let's take, for instance, a uh, standard cell viability assay, you know, biology 101. You just want to know, are your, are your cells healthy or are your cells dead? A lot. Uh, yeah, sure. When we start, that's a simple binary response. Either cells are good, cells are bad. But you know, that misses a lot of important information. For some people, knowing if it's sick, knowing if it's getting better or getting worse. We want to take those assays and we want them to be able to tell you more information than they've ever been able to before. Got it. So um, tell me about how you got into this business of breaking assays. Um, what's your background? My background is uh, actually worked at the University of Tennessee in the Center for Environmental Biotechnology. And I really seized on the biotechnology aspect. I mm. came in and was absolutely floored that we could reach out to the life around us and find ways to use nature's solutions to solve man's problems. Okay. And, and how did you get involved? Because I, I read here on my copy that you were part of the successful Innovation Avenue cohort at SLAS. Tell me about the formation of 490 and about how you decided to get in the business of, of demonstrating and uh, applying to be at our show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we actually, we kind of stumbled our way into starting a company because as academic researchers, we invented a technology to solve limitations in existing assays that we were running. And we, the way. <laughs> we published that and all of a sudden had a bunch of requests from other universities that said, hey, could you send us this thing you built? And we mm -hmm. thought, you know, maybe there's actually a market here that we could charge people money to get this thing that we've developed. And then we can get it to them, unfortunately, more efficiently than uh, through a standard material transfer agreement. And we can use those profits to break other assays and start to answer other questions. We got into Innovation Avenue because we found an interesting way to address the bioluminescent assay space. Mm -hmm. And we've started developing new assays that use light production to look at cellular health. This answered a lot of questions that people have in the automation space because it allows us to do things at a higher throughput without having to invest in as much dedicated automation equipment. So sort of bringing automation to the masses, if you will. Got it. So tell me a little bit about the automation of high throughput luminescence assays. I know that there's going to be some people on this podcast who are going to say, oh, Mike, don't ask that. But you know, I'm curious. Uh, people love looking at automated 
light and endpoint assays. So tell us about that. Yeah, people absolutely do. And it's such a powerful technique. And light production gives you so much versatility. But it was really limited by the fact that in most high throughput applications, you still had to undergo a cell lysis step. Mm -hmm. So you were just getting a single reading. And we can read a lot of endpoint assays using very fancy automation equipment. But you know, someone working at a regular old academic institution or someone like myself in a startup, you know, maybe we have a plate reader and we feel like we don't want to be left out. So how can we take that light production and use it to look at more samples in the equipment we already have? And we found that the answer to that was remove the destruction step. Mm -hmm. So now instead of preparing individual samples for all these different time points, we can start to interrogate the same samples repeatedly, which allows us to get extreme increases in throughput without having to change our instrumentation to a piece of equipment that may cost more than our rent. Yeah, tell me a little bit about um, automation and use in either a startup environment or academia, because one of SLAS's goals is to get automation, as you said, to the masses. So tell me about the challenges that you incurred getting automation into your program. You know, I think the biggest challenge that we had was realizing that automation scales just like everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, especially when you go to fantastic automation meeting like SLAS puts on and you see all the fancy equipment and you see all the capabilities, you start to think that automation is only this big beast that can be used by giant companies to look at hundreds of millions of different assay conditions. But you forget that. You can automate pipette workflows. You can automate data processing. There are a lot of opportunities for businesses of all sizes, especially small businesses like us, to seize on automation that works for them. And I think that was one of our biggest takeaways from being at this year's SLAS meeting was figuring out how we can make automation work for us. Got it. That's a beautiful answer. Thank you. Um, and tell me about... Um, we've said often times around our organization that one of the advantages of automation, aside from it you know, being repeatable and robust, is that robots don't get sick. So in a pandemic environment, such as uh, for those listeners right now, it is about June 2020, and we are still in the middle of the first wave of the coronavirus pandemic. So tell me about how your organization is coping with SARS-CoV-2. It was very interesting for us. You know, We are fortunate in that we do a lot of human cell work. So sterilization was always a big priority. So we have a working environment that we feel comfortable with. And as a small business, we have a very close group of employees who trust one another and who have a great understanding of the science behind the outbreak. And I think that it's important to understand that because that's the background for all of our activities. We followed the procedures that were recommended. Everybody self-quarantined. We made sure that no one had any symptoms or any traceable contact. But we were very well positioned to reopen our operations intelligently because everybody knew what the risks were and everybody knew how we could minimize those risks. In the downtime, being a small business, it's very difficult for us to shut down completely. So yes. While our employees were quarantining at home, I was quarantining in the lab, keeping all of our cell cultures alive and keeping our basic research operations going. And 
being able to leverage the automation that we had in place, even things as simple as programming a pipetter to make setting up an assay easier or tossing cells into a plate reader that I can write a script to follow a certain routine, allowed me to keep things moving as just a single individual. And you know, despite the severe limitations that the presence of COVID-19 is having on operations, I think we learned some valuable lessons from that about how we can actually have each employee doing more by better efficiency through automation. Right, I get it. Dan plus robots equals skeleton crew. Seems like Absolutely. It works That's wonderful. Tell me, is this then the most exciting lab moment you've ever had or do you have a different one? Tell me about your most exciting professional accomplishment to date. I think my most exciting professional accomplishment to date was probably the first time that I ever made a human cell produce light continuously. It was just a big sci-fi moment for me. I remember it was actually early on in my career, uh, the impetus for the formation of this whole company. And going in as a graduate student, when your PI sits down with you and says, we have a high-risk, high-reward project that we think you would be perfect it's a trick. You're naive enough to think, wow, he really thinks that I can do this instead of, wow, he really wants me to take the blame when this doesn't right. work. <laughs> and then you're able to work through that. And at the end of that, seeing something that no one had ever been able to accomplish before, you know, light production without cellular destruction was a huge moment for me, both personally and professionally, because it really made me realize that just because you've read something in a textbook that says this is impossible, that doesn't have to be right. Mm -hmm. You know, As researchers, as scientists, we are very uniquely positioned to take the knowledge that we've been so fortunate to get from others and to add our own experience to that, to rewrite those rules, to do new things, and to break new frontiers. And I think that was the real breaking point for me to say, what else out there isn't possible that we could make possible if we really want to? Cool perspective. And I've got to ask you, what color was the continuous light? It was blue. Blue. Pretty. Very pretty. So tell me about building on that observation, about learning something in your education that then got you really inspired to both start this company and also just be illuminated by science itself. Um, what tips do you have for younger generations of students, SLS affiliated or otherwise? who might want to go into automation, screening, data science? How should they get as charged up as you? What steps should they follow? You know, my recommendation would be that science is, is so broad. And you know, I think we as researchers spend time in our niche, you know, looking at our little corner of the envelope to expand. But you need to take a step back at some point and find out what excites you. You know, the, the path to new frontiers is absolutely littered with failure. And if you're not working in an area where every day you want to get up and you want to make a new discovery and you want to do something better, it's very easy to let those failures beat you down over mm -hmm. time. But if you can find something that excites you and something that you're truly passionate about doing, you can overcome any of those hurdles and you can put in the time and the effort and you can actually make that difference and get to that new frontier. Well said. So final thought, 
who are you most excited to meet with and network with in the SLS community now that you're a part? That is a trick question because our experience at Innovation Avenue was that you never know who you're going to have the opportunity to meet within this community. And I think I made some unexpected connections with people at that meeting that, you know, if you had given me a list of all the attendees and said, who do you most want to talk with? You know, and if you could divide that up by, oh, I want to talk to these people because they would be great sales, you know, great uh, feedback from my company. I want to talk to these people because they're incredible scientists and I just want to pick their brain. I came across people I never would have thought of. And I had some of the most engaging and fruitful discussions that I could. I think that the breadth of members in the SLAS community is what excites me most. It's a small enough community where everybody that I walked up to and said hello to was willing to have a conversation with me, but large enough that there are always new people that I should be meeting that I haven't had a chance to meet yet. It just it never got stale for me throughout the whole meeting. That's wonderful to hear. Um, and thank you very much. So any closing thoughts you'd like to offer us, Dan? You know, I think if I had anything to say, it would be for you know someone in the role that I'm in now in a small business, looking at SLES or looking towards the future in general is just you have to be bold. You have to take these chances and you have to really want to make a difference, share that difference with the world. You know, I would really encourage people to get out there at these meetings, maybe not shake hands anymore, but go say hello, you know, give a friendly wink above your properly worn mask. And socially distancing. Sure. Socially distancing and make those connections because you never know who is going to offer an offhanded comment or a piece of advice that can really, you know, change the focus of your entire career. That's a great thought to conclude on. And it behooves me to say thank you for the time and good luck to 490 and its great success. Thank you, Mike. Very much appreciated.